Welcome to the Leading Ladies Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Fernandez, and I'm here to talk about all things leadership. I know being a woman leader feels more complicated than ever, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing advice from my own experiences so that you can level up every aspect of your life. No topic is off limits as we explore what it means to live with confidence in your purpose and calling. From what it means to be a bold woman in every sphere of influence to how to balance your work and personal life and everything in between. So whether you lead a church, a business, a team, or are the CEO of your own home, join us for authentic conversations, inspiring stories, and the tools and strategies that will equip you to become the leading lady of your own life. All right. Well, today I'm joined by Dr. Lisa Maricini. I wanted to say Maricini. I almost tripped it up again. <laughs> but I'm super excited to have my dear friend Lisa on the show today because we've known each other for what turns out to be almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Is that right? We met at Westmont College. And um, Lisa's experience is crazy. It's taken her across the globe. It's taken her to the United Nations, Capitol Hill in Congress. She's been on remote islands speaking to women on the radio waves. You might have heard her. And also even in the inner city streets working with um, a lot of philanthropic projects that her family does there. And her latest project was, I guess this isn't that recent, is it? Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was actually in India. And is that where you met David, your husband? Yes, that's you, what brought us together. I know. So she was on a really cool, tell tell us a little bit about that. What was that trip like? Because I know mm-hmm. that was part of your microfinance project, right? Yeah, so <clears throat> spent like six weeks there. And it was my first time to India. Um, yeah. But I've always wanted to go. So it was an exciting um, thing that I got to commit to and be part of. It's called a Smart Village Project in India. And um, basically, at the core, it's kind of bringing technology and infrastructure to villages. Um, it started with one village, and now it's kind of spread across to different ones. Um, but it builds off of the idea of a smart city. Um, so it addresses, like, the one that we did was five different areas where they need wow. help the most. So I was brought in to fo- focus with the um, entrepreneurs that are doing um, artisan based um, business so the saris that are traditional craft that's been passed mm. down through yeah. generation that's like the really pretty dresses yeah. right that that all the indians wear yeah um so it a lot of it comes from the villages and their families that make it um and they they needed help getting it to their customers instead of going through a middleman which ends up not giving them really a fair um, price for it so we helped them get cut out that middleman by getting it directly online and able to connect with customers that way that's amazing yeah and then you went kind of from there to to finish your master's right in my phd your well i know that was during the phd oh it was during the phd Mm -hmm. okay yeah she's a smart smarty (laughs) pants guys if you didn't catch that um so what is your phd in it's in global leadership oh perfect it's like (laughs) i planned it for you to be on a leadership podcast um i would love for you just to kind of share why you decided to get your phd in global leadership and kind of what was the motivation behind that yeah so um the foundation and core of the program is like organizational leadership so I think people might be more familiar with that um, as a concept but the global leadership is what really appealed to me because it brings in a lot of different cultural voices um, and different ways of doing leadership um, different styles of leadership instead of one traditional way Um, but I love the program because it's not your typical PhD program where it's really heavy on theory it's setting you up to become a tenure-track professor it actually pulls in people doing all sorts of different things in the marketplace and in the world um, so that they can just have a more um, found, like educational foundation um, and more theory that they can use in their workplace. But they're not all going to teach necessarily. They're going out into the world to do different things. Right. And I remember when we got out of Westmont, like, I mean, I got to kind of watch your 
story evolve and you know the evolution of you know even when you were working with 31 bits mm -hmm. and that's for people who don't know is a jewelry company where it made I, I does it still exist I don't even know yeah <laughs> okay it just shifted in okay. some ways <laughs> well back then it was making this in these incredible jewelry pieces that were actually really really pretty really on trend mm -hmm. um but with using the African styling of beading and the paper was it paper products paper. Mm -hmm. yeah and it was amazing because it was like very on trend this is like what, 10 or 15 years ago <laughs> and um but they had found this way to make these products that were easy for people to make in Africa but would really appeal to a western audience mm -hmm. and I thought that was such a brilliant marriage and then I kind of saw you go to your master's and your PhD and now you're a professor and so I would just love for you to share like why did you kind of choose to go because there's so many leadership directions you could have gone P politics and we were just joking about how <laughs> we went on a political science trip in uh, Sacramento to Sacramento back in oh, I don't even know what year this was 2005 or 2000, yeah, yeah 2005 or six where we were I don't even remember. We don't remember what we were doing. So sorry, Dr. Lawrence, because we probably didn't learn what we were supposed to learn. But I do have this distinct memory of the smell of the Capitol. And so I'm like, you you could have gone, though, that political direction. Your dad worked in politics, like, you know, doesn't currently, but like ran for office. Mm -hmm. Like, so why did you decide to go more higher education? Yeah, well, I've always loved working with young women and mentoring them. Um, so there's a lot of volunteer work that I got to do growing up and through college um, working with young women. <clears throat> and that like just really easily became my heart and my focus. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what led me to a lot of the jobs that I took, like with 31 Bits. It was very focused on empowering women, um, both as consumers and as producers. Um, so making sure that we connected people who wouldn't normally be connected, but also um, making it where they can find sustainability along the way. Um, and I felt like it was such a cool new area that I had never heard of before. Yeah. Um, that took it so much further than just your typical charity or philanthropic um, stuff where you, you give away stuff, but actually um, gave them a tool that they can provide for themselves. Yeah. yeah. And didn't need us in the long run. That was the goal. Sustainability. Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> I think that was a really novel concept mm -hmm. when we, we were, were coming. College, yeah, yeah. When we were coming out of college and now thankfully it's spread and it's mm -hmm. more widely accepted. But I remember thinking the same thing, like why don't we do sustainable business instead of just donation based, mm -hmm. you know, charity work. Yeah. And actually you'd be surprised. A lot of college students still haven't heard about, a lot of the companies that are doing it differently. Really? Um, so they, I mean, they're really familiar with fair trade and yeah. uh, fair wage and all of that, but they don't know about the the kind of stuff that I okay. was doing. So being able to teach that and share stories and show them, hey, you can actually do this with your life and not be stuck in like what you think of as traditionally mm -hmm. the way that success looks like with whatever field you're going into. Oh, so okay. um, they love that. So and you like cultivating the young minds. Yeah. <laughs> it's just <laughs> transferred over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you got to, you know, collect homework and do that kind of stuff yeah. and make sure they're doing their, their job. But, um, well, one of the things I'd love for you to share about is like, what is something, and I think, you know, we've been around the block now a few years out of college and stuff but what's one thing that you think people misunderstand about women and women leaders or you as a woman leader has you have experienced yourself like what's a misunderstanding about women in leadership in your view um I think when we think of leadership it's really through the traditional um adjectives that we use and what that looks like and even like 
what we see as power and how we define power. And it's always through a really masculine lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, even with my some of my papers I got to do in the research, mm-hmm. I loved redefining power as feminine and what that could look like in Ooh, the workplace. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even coming down because I love fashion. So I'd always connect it back to that and what that oh, even we women do have to talk about yeah, this. Women in leadership, like yes. how they use fashion to communicate. Um, but a lot of times it's really traditional masculine looks that seem powerful. Um, so I loved being able to redefine that in a lot of the work that I did. What did you learn when you were researching fashion diplomacy? Because I remember yeah. that project and I was like, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> but what did you, yeah, what did you find out like through yeah. that project? Um, I think just how powerful a tool it is in mm-hmm. communicating things. If you think, I mean, obviously a lot of it is um, within the political sphere of right. how women use it, um, or even designers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they dress um, first ladies, and that sends a statement, and especially, like, at the certain dinner, like, if they're wearing this designer, what does that communicate? Is it an American-made designer? Like, those kind of things hmm. play a big role. But even, like, taking it a step further, like, um, you know, uh, Madeline Albright, she used mm-hmm. pins to communicate things that was, like, her thing, like brooches, which is oh, kind of, like, right, like um, different like our generation. Was, yeah, like, our grandmas, that was yeah. more their vibe. And she's definitely on that side. Yeah. She passed now. But yeah. she, like, that kind of thing mm-hmm. was used throughout, like, fashion diplomacy. You can yeah. find a lot of research on those things. Okay. Now, was there – are we seeing a change in that direction, do you think, of, like, women dressing more femininely – and still maintaining power yeah I think it depends on the industry for sure because there's still really like traditional ways of doing stuff and it's hard to get out of that um but I think you can still use I mean people use fashion all the time to communicate things that's so fascinating well you guys will have to check out her work on that (laughs) we'll see if I can find a link to it or something (laughs) um I would love to hear you talked about Madeline Albright but are there female leaders that you admire and like why do they draw your admiration Oh, there's so many. Um, I think even, like, obviously some that aren't with us today, but, like, just historical figures, too, like Eleanor Roosevelt and Mm -hmm. um, people that have made such a huge difference in, like, even when you think about women not having the right to vote, and yet they were still, she helped pave the way for that. But even more so, Mm -hmm. they were able to use their influence. Um, I think leadership does come down to influence Mm -hmm. um, and in ways that um, that. men couldn't use it because they were women. Like, you think of Jackie Kennedy. I always think of her trips and, like, what that did for the the U.S. image abroad mm. um, and how she used that to her advantage and did stuff that her husband could never even do because she had a unique feminine position to mm-hmm. be able to bring that perspective to what that looked like for leadership. Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of mine are political, but there's so many within the church too that I so admire. Yeah. Um, obviously, Lisa Bevere is one that yes. really... We share her yeah, as a really friend inspires. and mentor. And Yes. <laughs> um, do you think like with the specifically with influence like what's the difference between power and influence um do you think yeah I think everyone has influence at some level Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I try to communicate to my students because a lot of them don't think they're leaders in the sense of the word of how they think it's defined right but you have influence I mean I think now when we think of influence we think of influencers yeah because of social media <laughs> yeah and that I mean that's if you put your booty on yeah. TikTok you can have some influence some, but that's but not that, what you're referring not to exactly yeah. <laughs> um but even just like if you're an older sibling like you have right. influence over younger sibling at the most right. basic level um everyone has some type of influence but power I think maybe more so connects to a position that you hold um, mm-hmm. and not just everyday influence that you have. Yeah, so you have influence over your students, but you also to some degree have power because you're right. their authority. The authority in the classroom. Right. Well, I was wondering if you could share too a little bit about just like how 
we as women like need to assert that leadership and like do Mm -hmm. you yourself consider yourself a leader because I think a lot of times when I talk to women I'm like oh you're a leader they're like Mm -hmm. oh I'm not a leader I don't know what you're (laughs) talking about like but I'm curious like do you would you use that term to describe yourself and if not or if so why yeah growing up I never would have yeah (laughs) never would have saw or said I was a leader in any way it would have felt weird right it would have yeah it wasn't yeah why do you think that is I think um just in the church I think you see the picture of leadership yeah. in a certain way and if you don't fit it then you're not a leader right um and I definitely had like small leadership roles maybe like with student council or stuff like that yeah. but I still wouldn't see myself as a leader but that and, showed early signs of right. leadership in you that you wanted to be on student council mm-hmm. right so and I think we don't celebrate or nurture sometimes that within ourselves, or sometimes I don't think it's called out too. like hey, you, you realize you are a leader because you're mm-hmm. seeking leadership roles, whether that's being a team captain on your, your team or like being a coach or being a tutor or mentor to a younger kid if you're a middle schooler or high mm-hmm. schooler, right? Like that's all still leadership. Yeah, I think even just teaching anything, yeah. a skill or anything to someone, you're a leader. In, in Mothers are leaders. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, for their children. Yeah. So do you do you see yourself as, would you use that term now? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I see myself as a leader. Yeah, when did you, when did that shift happen, do you think? Um, yeah, I think, well, being maybe put in leadership roles, that definitely helped, like mm-hmm. really formal leadership yeah. roles, whether that was a youth leader after mm-hmm. college um, or just having the title mm-hmm. of a director um, in some job or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially as I came to know myself and my calling and what I was called to do in this world, mm-hmm. I definitely saw that through a leadership lens, um, but uniquely to what I think I'm called to um, through a feminine leadership lens and not a traditional one. What do you, yeah, when you say that's what you're called to, like how would you describe your calling? Yeah, I mean, I think it can change through each season, but at the core of it, like my calling is to equip and empower and encourage, especially um, young women, mm-hmm. um, that they have a unique place in the world for such a time as this Mm. um, and calling that out of them um, in a way that maybe they haven't seen before. Um, So I think even you could even reframe it and say like just even showing them how they are leaders in in whatever they're doing. How did you – this is something I think a lot of people who are young or like, you know, in their 20s. I know this is something I struggle with in my 20s post-Westmont of like, Mm -hmm. I want to change the world. I'm going to go make a huge difference. And then I go and sit in a (laughs) cubicle, you know, eight hours a day. (laughs) not doing what I think is making a difference. How did you come to arrive at figuring out your calling? Yeah, I think it definitely started by serving. And I'm sure you could say the same with your journey, but um, getting outside of my comfort zone and even outside of like what I thought success was after college, um, what I did never didn't even connect to what I studied. And that was really (laughs) disappointing. I don't even know. Oh, Oh, duh. That's why we're on that trip. (laughs) Yeah, it was an international focus. It definitely connects now, but at first it didn't. I thought I was going to the UN. Like, (laughs) you actually went to the UN, though. (laughs) I literally, this is a side note. I want you to finish what you're saying, but I remember saying, like, I will never work in American politics and at Westmont like I will never (laughs) and then like literally like the recession hit 2008 and I got a job working at the state capitol here in Colorado and I was like I'm working in American (laughs) politics but anyways okay so back to you though say never (laughs) yeah so you you weren't working in 
what you thought you were no. going to study. So and... I actually went into like full-time ministry. Um, okay. I was on staff at a church. Um, oh, that was a like, yeah, U-turn. Different shift. <laughs> yeah, which has its own politics in some ways. Indeed. Which you yeah. would know too. Um, but that became like my training ground because I learned so much. And actually that opened my eyes to understanding um, just as a woman um, and how I experience um, even ministry, but also everything else. I never thought of things through gender lens before that time. Mm. Um, so it really oh, allowed me to explore that and find my calling and go through a lot of things too that I had to experience for my own personal development. But it, at the end of the day, it was like a lot of volunteer work and doing things um, outside my job description and just diving into that season, even though I desperately tried to get out of it. <laughs> and it lasted longer than I thought because I kept applying to my master's program. I got oh. rejected like three times. You did? Yes. I didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I knew I was you... supposed to be there. Really? So it was definitely more about the timing um, and God lining it up. How did you uh, overcome that feeling of rejection? Because that took leadership over yourself. Like, yeah, that's tough. <clears throat> at first, um, you kind of doubt. Well, at least I doubted, like, did I actually hear from God on this? Because yeah. um, I knew I was supposed to go there um, and do that program specifically. Yeah. Um, and I, I just every time I got rejected, I, God would be so faithful and mm. um, just so clear to say, no, you're here. I still want you here. And that's in your future. Mm. Um, and just what it was something wow. little. Um, like driving to work one day and right in front of me is a USC license plate, which is where I ended up going, yeah. which you don't see very often. I was in another state. Oh, so wow. just being so clear that, yes, I'm leading you to this. Um, and even like on an airplane coming, this guy handed me this scripture reference and I looked it up and I was like in tears because it said, is anything too hard for me? That was the scripture. Wow. And at that point I was like, God, I literally have done every single thing to get into this program, whatever it was to improve. I was like, I don't know what else to do. You're just going to have to open the door. Wow. And so I think it's like that process of surrender yeah. um, and knowing, hey, I can't actually do this on my own in right. any way, shape, or form. So God, you have to open the door if yeah. I'm supposed to be here. And he did eventually. It just it took, took a, a few, minute. yeah, a little bit longer than I thought. That's a hard, that's hard. I mean, I definitely know, like I came out of Westmont thinking like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to work in an anti-trafficking organization. And it was the recession and mm -hmm. there was no jobs. And I remember flying out to DC. I had friends, had a friend that worked in the agency. I had a friend that at IJM. I actually met the vice president of IJM mm -hmm. on a Young Life trip. And I was like, okay, this is all going to work out. And, and then I went <laughs> to them and they were like, yeah, you need to go to law school. And I was oh. like, what? And then I went and I tried to take the law school exam bombed it which <laughs> i don't and becca will judge me or my friend becca who's now a department of justice lawyer but i just was like trying to figure out what to do and like i think for me i didn't feel enough conviction about doing law school but mm -hmm. it's interesting knowing for you like you had to go through the overcome those rejections and overcome those setbacks and then still persevere through it. and if you hadn't done that you wouldn't have your phd you wouldn't mm -hmm. be teaching women mm -hmm you know, and men and definitely getting to mentor in the way that you're getting to do now as a professor. So mm -hmm. I, I love hearing that. I didn't actually know that yeah. about your story. I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't. Yeah, I share that with students too, because I think it helps because everyone faces rejection and yeah, it's not always a sign of you're going the wrong way. It's, sometimes it's about timing. Right. So how does your faith inform your work now? Like obviously you're in a secular mm -hmm. university environment. You're, it's not really yeah. something you can be super pushy about. Um, but like, how do you, how do you bring that to being a, t a professor. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 
It's kind of um, exciting because it's like you can't talk openly about Christian values or just my own mm-hmm. faith, but I do share some things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like, obviously, you were one of my guest speakers. I, I bring in guest speakers yeah. that love the Lord and mm-hmm. have strong faith. Sometimes they share, but mm-hmm. no matter what, those values get communicated. Right. Um, and it opens the door for more conversation, too. And it definitely informs how I even like shape my curriculum and my syllabus um, mm-hmm. and what values I want to instill in them. And a lot of them. Like, I really care about their personal development. And mm-hmm. for them, that kind of translates into, um, obviously, what they're going to do after they graduate, but their own career development, too. So making sure that they know they have someone and a safe place while they're exploring um, during their college years to go to for advice um, and even just um, someone can, that can help them. Because a lot of times they don't get that from anyone else in their life. Right. Um, so just being that open door for them creates a lot of opportunities to share a lot of the values that I have with my faith. It's just being like, it's just being present, right? Mm-hmm. It's just showing up for them every single day. And then also just being like a listening ear. Cause I know that can be a very tumultuous time of like, yeah. who am Stressful. I? What am I doing? And I can only imagine with the pandemic and with yeah. the economy, the way it is like the, the stress that, you know, young people are facing today, I think is, is similar to what we did mm-hmm. coming out in 2008, but it's, it's different because I mean, there was no social media, like, to the degree. There was no – I mean, there's a lot more outside pressure. I'm curious, like, I had one question written down of if you could go back and talk to your (laughs) 18-year-old self, what would you tell her? But I think I'm also going to say if you could talk to a current Mm 18-year-old today, like, what would you tell her if she's wanting to become a leader or if she's looking at your life or your story and going, Mm -hmm. like, man, how do I do what Lisa did? Mm -hmm. How do I navigate all that? Yeah, I think – One, I kind of said it, but just trust the timing of your life, Mm -hmm. Um, especially from a faith perspective. Trust. I love that. That um, God knows the timing. And sometimes it's really just, um, at the end of the day, not about you. Like, it's the bigger picture. Yeah. You have, like, God's timing. He's putting all these things Mm -hmm. in alignment in his kingdom. And whether it's getting another degree or fulfilling a job position, like, you're going to be there for a certain time to fulfill Mm -hmm. a greater purpose. So trust that. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard um, because things don't go according to what you think they should (laughs) Um, we've both talked about our marriage timing yeah much longer than we thought than we (laughs) thought how old were you when you got married 31 okay I was 32 or 33 yeah Yeah. (laughs) we're like this is a decade later that it was supposed to be good (laughs) but it was perfect timing and it was the right guys Mm -hmm. I mean I mean there's some Westmont boys which I don't think it would have been a good call (laughs) they're all great but they've all matured now yeah um well, I'm curious, how could, how do you balance motherhood with all this? Obviously, mm-hmm. you're leading at the school, and then you're having to come home and be a mom to your now t- almost two-year-old, yeah. William, and, and then, you know, obviously wanting to grow your family. And, like, how do you juggle kind of these roles and these responsibilities of wife, mom, professor, daughter? You know, you guys mm-hmm. are really involved in your community and your church. Like, how do you, you juggle all that? Yeah, I think um, it's understanding what your season is. And if you don't understand, it'll kind of come at you. Yeah. (laughs) You'll be forced to understand. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So motherhood is really like more challenging in different ways than I thought it would be. Okay. Um, But that's like my priority right now because I'm just in the little season. So yeah, um, spending as much time as I can, but still um, 
like being able to balance like having my I just work part time so I go two days a week so mm-hmm. I don't I mean there's always bomb guilt but you just yeah. like I know what I need um, just to thrive in both settings right. and being able to have the help to do that um, we have a cousin that helps us um, so and he's going to go to preschool so like those kind of things yeah. just building them in and then just knowing when to say no to other stuff like I just don't have the capacity to do a whole lot more right now mm-hmm. and that's okay like I can't you're not a youth leader right no, now no I can't be super involved <laughs> at church and that's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so like such a good way of saying it because I think a lot of times women feel like they need to maintain balance. Like, oh, I need to be an excellent housekeeper. Mm-hmm. I need to make amazing meals. I need to like take my husband on dates and like make sure he's like, you know, feeling loved. And then I also have to make sure my kids are perfect and I got to be great at work. And I think it just becomes so Too much overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Like you literally can't do it all. You might be a like not as great employee for a season. But then you're going to become a great employee again, or Mm -hmm. you might as be not showing up as well as you want to be showing up for certain roles in your life, but it will evolve again. And that's Mm -hmm. what I hear from a lot of people, especially even older people than us who are like, this is how I went from, you know, young, young wife to mom to now grandma, like Mm -hmm. all those seasons of life shifted. And I think that sometimes the mistake is getting set in your way of thinking, this is how I have to onboard everything equally mm-hmm. and it doesn't work try way. to look like you know celebrities in Hollywood who have nannies and yeah, chefs have a lot of and personal trainers <laughs> and you know assistants and I mean I remember living in Santa Barbara and finding out that people had house managers and I was like <laughs> what is that like did you hear did you know what no okay so like a house manager is someone who literally just does your house like gets your mail Wow. takes your dry cleaning, picks up, you know, ships your Amazon stuff back. I'm like, that's a dream. Yeah. All the little things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> takes time. <laughs> exactly. So, well, I, I'm loving this conversation. I'm wondering like, how, how do you, and I, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but like, is there a leadership rule you live by and w- what is it and what would you tell other people about it? Um, <clears throat> I think just playing off of the influence thing. Um, I think we all, just understanding that we all have influence Mm -hmm. Um, and it sounds kind of creepy but there's someone always watching you know (laughs) so you have to just like be on like 100 percent i'm thinking of that old song private eyes private eyes (laughs) that's creepy (laughs) no but you don't realize even with social media you don't realize who's following along and in a positive way yes (laughs) like um that you could be encouraging and that's like come back around to me and so many times i didn't even realize i had influence over Mm, this area and yet i I had a huge impact um and someone will email me later or they want to connect and like Mm. that's like that's like I think at the core of leadership. So understanding what influence, maybe you don't see it, but just being really aware and um, even living to that high standard and living with excellence, um, no matter what you do, because no matter what people are seeing you and you're a reflection of Jesus. I love that because I think you don't realize, you know, it is kind of weird. Like whether you have five hundred people on your Instagram or fifty thousand, like in what generation could you reach 500 people Mm -hmm. like every single day Mm -hmm. or even 50 people every day you maybe I mean our grandmas and our moms maybe reached the 10 people they worked with or the 20 people or their their household or their Mm -hmm. church community but you weren't like the way people are networked now there is influence and if you only have 200 Instagram followers Mm -hmm. 10 of those you know or even 10 percent of those you know could be really impacted by you. Mm-hmm. And so I think I love the idea of that your that influence is always there even if you don't yeah. have a position of authority yet or 
or whatnot. I think um, I have one last fun question for you. <laughs> so obviously you're a busy mom, you're a professor, like you're doing all these things. What is something you do for fun? Like that's just for you. Like when you're <laughs> wanting to be selfish, yeah. like, like <laughs> shut out the world, like, you know, whatever What's a one fun thing. Yeah. I'm still um, figuring that out. Like, that's <laughs> like hard like sometimes. A, a hobby. I, I, well, you know, I love fashion. So yeah. like even just going to a store and like having time to look around, like anthropology is my favorite. Is it? And okay. I get inspired. Okay. Um, so like it, doing that is like a dream. Okay. <laughs> just go to anthropology by yourself. Yeah. Like no Spend husband, time. no William. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wander around <laughs> okay do you have like a favorite like item of clothes that since that's like one of your passions the headbands? my headbands yes yeah, your signature look <laughs> yeah I wear them all the time now <laughs> it's so funny because the home edit like is where oh, I... she wears the same brand does she yes okay because I was like that that it's... headband is everywhere yeah now. she loves it too okay uh -huh. well it's... you and maybe well, well yeah well I first I mean it became popular, I think, because of all the Zoom calls. People wanted to feel put together. But <laughs> I always headband loved on. headbands. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I found this this brand, and I just love it. What brand is it? Lily Sadugi. Okay. Well, if they want to sponsor the podcast, <laughs> we'll have Lisa yeah. sport your headbands. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciated this. I think it's going to really be helpful to people. Where can people find you if they want to keep up with you and just, you know, see what you're doing yeah <laughs> so my um insta is lisa marasini just all one okay um it's private because i share a lot with my son but i like especially young women i just like that's my heart so i'd love to connect with you there okay. um and then linkedin is always great too because okay. i keep updated on all my professional stuff there cool well if you guys want to go and get your master's degree or get an <laughs> undergrad degree i guess too you can yeah i teach undergrads okay you can go <laughs> with uh Dr. Mercy. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you liked that episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, really anyone. You never know who may need the encouragement. Also, if you would rate, review, and subscribe, that goes a long way to helping this leadership community grow and reach more women. To learn more about me or to find out about my coaching programs, please check out my website, IamSarahFernandez.com. And remember, I'm Sarah with no H. Until next time.